Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his ankle. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are going to get you ready for the Super Bowl. We're going to start talking about some Super Bowl betting here on the podcast. And we joined in a little bit by Sports Grid's Kevin Walsh, host of the early line over at Sports Grid. We're going to talk about some of the early lines to watch here in the Super Bowl, the spread, the money line, your props, all that stuff. We're talking about that with Kevin in just a bit. Make sure you lock in the end of the show for six two-minute drill. We're going to talk about the Giants hires. I feel like they got it right. You know, Joe Shane, new GM, Brian Dayball, new head coach. The direction here for the Giants, I feel like they are finally got it. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. And if you like what you're listening to here on the Just on the Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe. Check out Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all your usual suspects. You can simply search for Just and the Suffering Affair podcast platform and find all our episodes there. Your feedback and star ratings will help, help make the podcast even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. The video version of our conversation with Kevin will be up on the YouTube page. So again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. With that said, though, we're going to get started here. We're going to dive into our opening tip. We're going to recap what happened on championship weekend in the NFL right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Time to get into this conference championship weekend and coming off of the super stellar divisional round. No one was expecting it to match what we just saw, but we did up with two very good games. We'll start in the ASU, the Chiefs and the Bengals. And early on, this game looked like Kansas City had it in the bag. They're racing up and down the field. They're up 21 to 3. Joe Burrow's getting harassed by the Chief pass rush. Looks pretty good. Things changed just before the half. Kansas City is driving again. They're at their Bengal five-yard line, five seconds to go. They have Kyle Adams here. Kick a field goal, go up 24-3. Go for a touchdown to go up 28-3. They have to go for the touchdown, which obviously I get because you have Patrick Mahomes, you need five yards. We can make it done. The play call is a bit strange because they decide to, instead of throwing it into the end zone, something quick, two, three seconds, and then if you don't have it, just get rid of it and set up the field goal. They do a dump off of Tyreek Hill on the flat. So he's saying, hey, Tyreek, just do your thing. Juke your whole defense, get in the end zone. The Bengals stuff it. It ends up being 21-3 at the half. The whole momentum of the rest of the game has changed. Cincinnati adapts second half, start tacking down the field. Samaje Pirine gets a nice play, breaks a bunch of tackles into the end zone. Bengals like kick a field goal, they're down eight. They're tightening up in the third. Mahomes throws a god-awful pick to B.J. Hill, where you're trying to see a screen, did not see Hill, just threw it right to his arms. Sets the Bengals, they score a touchdown, they score the two to tie the game. Kansas City had a brutal, and I mean brutal, second half. Cincinnati started dropping eight guys in coverage more often and saying, you know what, run the football. We're not going to let Mahomes beat us. According to ESPN's next-gen stats, Patrick Mahomes was 7 for 13 for 59 yards. They pick two sacks and a career-low negative 14.4 passing EPA. So his passing expected play value was negative 14.4 yards, and they still kept chucking it. 
The Chiefs wanted to play hero ball. They wanted to let Mahomes ball out, make all the plays, make all the flash, instead of just taking the defense is giving them. They could have run the ball for the entire second half and gotten the Super Bowl. This is evident that last game of the drive. That was evident the last drive of the game. KC was down three. They get down to the Bengal five again. First and goal. Bengals have just one timeout left. Here's the sequence here. Jeremy Kane runs for a yard. The Bengals call their final timeout. Okay, I get that. Make them use the timeout, then you can do what you want. Next play. Mahomes is sacked for a loss of five yards. Chiefs then let the clock run a bit, run a bit, run a bit. Call timeout with 39 seconds to go. Next play. They call another pass. Third down at the at the nine-yard line. Third and goal. Mahomes just starts drifting back and back and back and back. And instead of getting rid of the football there, he gets sacked. He fumbles it. He's very lucky the Chiefs got the back on the ball. Because at that point, if the Bengals fall, the game's over. Instead, the Chiefs gave that. They call timeout with three seconds left. Harrison Bucker hits to hit a 44-yard field goal to force overtime. He nails it. But that was god-awful clock management and god-awful game match out of the Chiefs. This is one where you say, okay, attack, get in the end zone. Said they're playing Q, trying to bleed the clock. Next thing you know, we're in overtime because Buckers have to make a kick about 20 yards longer than it needs to be. Overtime comes. The Chiefs win the toss. I'm sitting there going, okay, here comes the controversy again, the overtime rules. Mahomes throws a pick, though. Joe Burrow calmly leads the Bengals down the field. And McPherson comes in, makes the game-winning kick, sends Cincinnati Super Bowl for the first time since 1989. I think this is a lot of fun for the Bengals, who have massive guts. We've seen that against the Raiders, against the Titans last week, against the against the Chiefs this week. They just tied the 2006 Indianapolis Colts, the biggest conference championship comeback ever. Remember, those Colts got 18 points to the Patriots, came back to win. This is a fun story. It offers a lot of hope to all the league seller dwellers out there that if you find your quarterback, you have good management, you build a good roster, you're well coached, you can turn around quickly. For the Chiefs, this is another disappointment. They had not been to four straight AAC title games at home. They had just one Super Bowl. They lost to the Patriots in 18. They won the Super Bowl the second year. Lost the Super Bowl last year. And lost to the Bengals at home this year. So, a little underwhelming considering the level of success they've had at this point. Now go to the NFC. For a while there, it looked like the Rams were doing everything in their power to lose the football game. Matthew Stafford throws a big pick in the red zone. Cooper Cup is dropping wild and passing in the middle of the field. Ben Skrownick dropped a wild and touchdown in the end zone. Before you know, the 49ers have a 17-7 lead. Rams have to get a touchdown in the second half, 17-14. This game, I think the turning point game, is the 49ers had the ball up 17-14 at the Ram 45, fourth and two. The math says go for it. You're in plus territory. You need two yards. You have a strong running game. The math says go for it. Kyle Shanahan left his offense out there to try and draw the Rams off sides. Takes the delay game and punts. After the game, they were asking him about going for it. He said he never thought about it. Which to me shows you he has no faith in the quarterback to win the game. He has no faith in Jimmy Garoppolo. And he's saying, okay, they're going to set off for the run. We're going to get stuffed. They're going to get the ball here. That's a problem. They gave up 30 yards in field position. The Rams tied on a field goal. Rams go three and out. Rams get another field goal. They have the lead. Four hours are backed up. Jimmy Garoppolo then throws the worst pick you've ever seen. He's getting sacked. Throws it, going down with his offhand. Shovels it. Pick, game over. We know this is the end of Jimmy G's tenure at the 49ers. He played hurt. 
He is not the answer here. They drafted Trey Lance. He deserves his share of the blame here. But can we also acknowledge that Kyle Shanahan is not a good big game coach? His teams have a propensity to blow huge leads in these big games. Last year, they were up 21 points. Two years ago, excuse me. They are up 21 points to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter. Blew that game. They blow a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter of a conference championship game. The first time that's ever happened. And don't forget, he was the play call in that 28-3 disaster for the Falcons in 2016. When does Kyle Shanahan start getting heat? Now we have a Super Bowl here with the Rams and the Bengals. That's interesting. You know, I guarantee you this is the least possible match that the league was hoping to get. There's no real juice between these two teams. But I think the game will be interesting anyway. We'll dive more into storylines next week. But we're going to dive into the World Super Bowl betting here with sports great Kevin Walsh right after this. Show me the money. All right, we are back here. Show me the money. Super Bowl betting edition of the Just End the Suffering podcast. Joining me today, this is point we cannot the schedule work out here during the regular season, but we do have him here now to do some Super Bowl betting from Sports Grid. Kevin Walls Jr. is here. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, man. Always excited to come on here uh, and chop it up with you a little bit, and uh, excited for this Super Bowl. You know, it's um, it's going to be a fun one. Sports Grid's got some big things planned uh, as well for the Super Bowl. The content's going to be great. So, just in general, really, really pumped up. Yeah, really pumped up. I'm also really pumped up. I'm sure you are too. That we now have live sports betting here in New York. I mean, I've been taking advantage, getting all the free money that's been being handed out here. Hit a future. I got plus eleven hundred Rafa to win the Australian Open. So that hit nice. So how how's it been for you with the sports betting being live now? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things, right, for for us New Yorkers, has, has been all these awesome, um, you know, promotions and uh, and boosts and and things like that. I think one area that I've really appreciated though is the live betting aspect of it um, on sports grid radio, myself and Donnie do in play sports tonight. And, you know, the ability to follow these games is great, but the ability to see something that jumps out you know, just the other day, Baylor uh, down at West Virginia or played West Virginia. We're down at the break, only at 31 points in the first half, a team total went down about 71 and a half ended up scoring 50 points in that second half. So that ability to jump in now with the uh, live betting uh, here in New York is uh, really, really exciting. Yeah, I'm sure if you went in on the Bengals, they're down 21-3 at halftime the a- and at the AC title game. I'm sure you had a good number there, too. Uh, I think as high as plus uh, 1,100, plus 1,120, I think, was the, the peak I saw. I mean, at one point, they were at 19 and a half points, <laughs> and they went and won the football game. That was – I still kind of can't believe the way that all played out. Yeah, before we dive into the betting, I want to get your take real quick on the big takeaway from these two games. Let's start with the AAC game, obviously. So, so watching that game, I know you have the betting mind there. So what was your big observation from the Chiefs-Bengal game? Yeah, for me, it was the Kansas City Chiefs playing a stubborn and greedy brand of football that ultimately cost them a chance to go to the Super Bowl and, and maybe win the, the Super Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals dropped a pretty much the entire second half. Their use of drop eight doubled in the second half from the first half. And that, there's three in the box. The Kansas City Chiefs, every single time they ran the ball, they got at least four yards. You guys can do the math there. Second and six, third and two, first down. Uh, they literally didn't need to let him throw the football once in the entire second half, and they would have been on their way 
to the Super Bowl, but they every single second down he has to throw, and it was always incomplete. And I don't know where the efficiency went. I, I don't know what was wrong uh, for him because even if it's drop eight, you have time in the pocket. You should be able to figure some things out. But again, he shouldn't have had to. It's a bad job, listen, on him from the execution, but the play calling was abysmal. And they deserve to be, you know, ripped apart. You know, give, look, Cincinnati credit. But they basically – tapped out and they're like listen we can't stop him so hopefully you stop yourselves and the Chiefs did yeah that's something I feel like I was gonna sit with Andy Reid for a long time that they basically had this game won and then they just took away from themselves because credit is not for taking advantage of mistakes but you know what that's a problem yeah at the end of the day you are on the one yard line with 21 points with nine seconds left and I know a lot of people like oh they should have kicked the field goal no they shouldn't have you see the way that offense was rolling you would have handed the ball off right there on the one. You probably would have walked right in. And at the end of the day, it was still 21 to 10. You still started the second half with the football. You still had more than enough chances to put that game away, regardless of what happened on the one-yard line right before the half. They were up by 18 points, man. It's just it's a nightmare. It's the first time Mahomes ever blew a 15-point lead in his career. It's a one-of-one scenario so far. Yeah, 101. Go to the other game real quick to the NFC game, the Rams at 49. I thought for a while the Rams tried to give that game away, and then the 49ers said, no, nah, we don't want it. You can have it back. And I mean, compared to the punt on fourth and two, Jaquesky Tart dropping interception, like when you see those two things happen basically mm-hmm. consecutive, you're like, okay, they're losing this game. It's just a matter of how it happened. And that's basically pretty much what it did. Look, at the end of the day, um, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't a winning quarterback. And people go, oh, but look at his record. Yeah, man, it's credit to Kyle Shanahan and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and that defense, uh, you know, Nick Bosa and, and Fred Warner. Jimmy Garoppolo went out there and averaged less than 200 passing yards per game, under 60% completion percentage with more interceptions than touchdowns and provided absolutely no juice as a mobile quarterback like your Kyler Murray's and your Lamar Jackson's of the world can. He's just not a, a positive football player like he's he's not and people are like ah oh, you know he, he'll be good for some team somewhere hey listen good luck but Kyle Shanahan is squeezed every juice out of that orange so you know the Pittsburgh Steelers are gonna end up missing Big Ben it's probably that's how that's gonna play out they welcome Jimmy Garoppolo into town I don't have high expectations for Jimmy G's future beyond San Fran yeah, I feel like Jimmy G is a spot where, you know, he has to go somewhere like he has in San Francisco where he has a good defense, good running game, some qu- good weapons around him. Like, you put him in the ideal situation, you can win. But if you're asking him to be the savior, he's not happening. You ask him to do anything. I didn't ask him to be the savior. <laughs> I didn't, you, they, they asked him to do almost nothing. And they almost got to the Super Bowl asking him to do nothing. I, I mean, again, does anyone think, you know, people are taking shots at Kyle Shanahan for punting on fourth and two in the Rams' territory. And, and I get it. I'd rather him hand the ball off to Debo Samuel. But you notice how nobody's saying, man, how do you not put the ball in Jimmy's hands, right? It's uh, how do you not hand the football off to Debo Samuel? Because he doesn't have a real quarterback. That's why he makes that decision there. Yeah, for sure. Let's now get to your wheelhouse here, which is all the betting angles. And obviously, we're early in the week here on after the NFC Championship game, NFC Championship game. So we're not going to get into all the wacky props, about the the length of the National Anthem, all that. I think we're getting more into your wheelhouse, which is the game-related props and all the stuff there. I think that's more fun for you. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, all of it's fun, uh, and all and all of it's going to be great to cover. But obviously, right now, as you know, kind of the game is set. We've had enough opportunity, to certainly, kind of digest that line and, and that total, and get a sense of of where this is going to move right now. And you've got the Rams, uh, you know, kind of posted up at that minus four number. It was a three and a half. It's climbed up. Other shops maybe give you a four and a half there. But that's where this is going to settle. You're not going to at any point see the Rams. Uh, I not, certainly not under field goal. I don't even know if you're going to get the flat three unless you pay some expensive juice for it. But I don't think we're going over four and a half now we're going to exist in this three and a half to four and a half range the rams rightfully are favored uh, in the football game yeah we'll start there with the spread you brought up here it's like it opened at three and a half it went to four i feel like it's staying there for a while i feel like the way that it's, it's like vegas is begging you take the Bengals, take the points hope it's close and i feel like a lot of the sharks are gonna be on the rams anyway because i feel like the public's gonna be very heavily on the Bengals. what do you think about that i think it's I, look we'll see right because the rams are are in their own building, not home. The Cincinnati Bengals win over the Kansas City Chiefs covers them in a lot more glory than the Rams win over the Niners. Joe Burrow is a guy that a lot of people are starting to really want to back, uh, and that certainly will will have its influence as well. But I really, I look at the four, and I, I think it's fair. Like I don't think it's a line that begs you to bet either way. To be honest with you, I think it's a I think it's a fair uh, line. The one thing that was you know noteworthy to me is after so. I had sent out a tweet telling people that it was over the last four or five years. I don't remember off the top of my head, but basically if you put a six point teaser and you use the dog on wildcard weekend, you only lost like once, right? Just un- impeccable numbers. Wildcard weekend wasn't all too kind to the dogs in those six point <laughs> teasers, divisional round championship Sunday, all the dogs and their six point teasers covered. So I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are lining up those bangles plus 10 numbers if they absolutely can early on there and pairing that maybe with the total in either direction. Yeah, for sure. And I can't remember the last time we had Super Bowl as high as four in the spring. I feel like the last like five or six have been like three-point games. Yeah, probably go back to, I would assume, Philly and New England, right? The Nick yep. Foles game yep. there. That, that would be my guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look that up while we're talking here. While I do that, I want to also touch on the money line here. I'm working at FanDuel right now. We have the Rams minus 198, Cincinnati plus sure. 166. Any strong feeling about that either way? Well, I, look, I, I think ultimately people who bet the Bengals will be sprinkling the money line, right? Every single game that they've won as a dog or covered as a dog this year has been an outright victory. So it makes sense. Very rarely, you know, it feels like is the point spread factoring in. I think it's since 2018. <clears throat> The team that has won, uh, has covered, and I think it's 41 of 47 games. So the thing is, though, we saw that with the Rams and the Niners, right, that three and a half mattered. And I think that's another reason people are going to be willing to bet Cincinnati. You're going to hear a lot of people now feel a little bit more confident. Ah, field goal decides this one. Give me the four. Yeah, I was look. I did look up your Eagles uh, Patriots Super Bowl. There was four and a half at open, ended up at five. So this is about the, about the same kind of line. Yeah, which, I mean... <laughs> So Brady versus Nick Foles is the same as Stafford versus Joe Burrow. All right. I guess so. Yeah. It's, I mean, hey, look, Nick Foles got the job done. Yeah, he did get the job done. The biggest line, I think, prior to that goes back to Super Bowl 43. Steelers here by seven over the Cardinals. That's the last time we had a line that high. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. And it goes, look, here's the thing. Even if I told you, hey, the you know, this, like if the Bucks would have gone, right? Yeah. It would have been, oh, oh, been a bigger, bigger spread, right? But when that a team finally gets there, they have to offer them a little bit more respect. And the fact that Cincinnati now got there beating, you know, a Tennessee team that had a bye week, obviously, and then and on the road, and then beating the Kansas City Chiefs as a seven and a half point dog, 
you're not going to see a lot of Super Bowl lines hit that touchdown marker. You're just not. Yeah, you're not. And the total here right now is 48 and a half, which to me implies that looks like they think it could be a low scoring game, considering that the Bengals have issues in the trenches, that the Rams and Panthers can impact things. So would you have a strong lean on the number of how you play that? So on the early line, which is the morning show on Sports Grid, we do um, a pick six with like six different categories going into the weekend. And for the postseason, we've obviously had three iterations so far. Every Bengals game has occupied the under category for me. Uh, Cincinnati has played, I believe, it's eight of their ten road games this year. When you factor in the postseason, uh, including you know with Joe Burrow and everything like that, uh, towards the under, they they are under 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 on the road uh, throughout the postseason season now obviously do you qualify this as a real road game i think that's a lot of that's going to be the, the difficult part to navigate to me it lands somewhere in the middle you're not going to have that outrageous road atmosphere like arrowhead like tennessee but you have the travel you're at a disadvantage when it comes to the comfortability that the rams have with being in their own locker room that they've been in all season long so it does factor in a little bit i look at that 48 and a half and i if you push me in a direction you're probably going to push me towards the under it's the kind of number that feels like it is going to have a lot of live opportunity on it a lot of meat on the bone to follow the ebbs and flows of the football game and then really be able to get some good numbers Absolutely. Now let's get to our favorite part of this thing. I think we all love the props. The props are a lot of fun. And I want to touch on some of these player props here. I think for me, in this game, mm-hmm. the star power seems to be wide receivers. I'm looking automatically at some of these receiver props here in terms of like the yards. Yeah. The one that jumps out to me, I think after his big performance in the AFC championship game, considering how teams double up Jamar Chase, T Higgins, 69 and a half yards seems like a good number to look at. Yeah, I think Higgins has that ability, right? But for me, I'm probably more inclined to back Jamar. At the end of the day, the Chiefs said, you can't beat us because you put 266 and three when we saw you last time. You have to get every single bit of attention that we possibly have. And he still would target it nine times. I know he didn't have the explosive play, but now you go to the Rams and you might say to yourself, Jalen Ramsey, he's going to be able to take this guy away. He's going to be able to put him on the shelf there. Jalen Ramsey will win more than he loses, but he'll lose a couple. Mike Evans, 55-yard touchdown. And Jamar Chase one-on-one coverage is going to get a couple in his back pocket. You, the number one pass catching op- uh, option against the Rams since week eight. So it's a 13 game sample size here has gone over their receiving total 10 times. The three exceptions, all three times where the top pass catcher didn't get over their receiving prop, the quarterback threw for under 200 yards. So basically, if I can get Burrow to even 220, 225, and he's in that 270 range for a passing prop, I feel good about Jamar Chase really getting up to about 100 receiving yards in this football game. Yeah, he's only I don't, at 78 and a half on Fandles. That's a good value. You can grab it. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's one of the numbers that feels like it's going to move. You talk about injuries, and we have some uncertainty around those. C.J. Uzama right now, if he is ruled out, it should be a boost across the board by a little bit, to Boyd, Chase, Higgins, and Mixon as well. Yeah, what about the Ram receiver numbers? Obviously, Cooper Cup, we know how good he is. His number is over 104 yeah. and a half. Odell Beckham, 62 and a half. I feel like those are two interesting numbers. Yeah, they certainly are. The one market for Cooper Cup that's been nice has been his longest reception prop. Uh, right now, that number is going to sit at 29 and a half. We'll see where that settles up there. If you can find yourself a little bit of a lighter number, that would be ideal. And I'll tell you, and I know it's not – 
It's a bet on a quarterback, but involves all the pass catchers. Is Matthew Stafford over 39 and a half for a longest completion? He's hit that in seven of his last 10. He did miss it against the Niners, but a couple drop passes there. Maybe we should have been able to catch that again. And Cincinnati's now allowed an, a completion of 40 or better in two consecutive postseason games here now. Yeah, I believe well, I think when Scrownick dropped the touchdown in the end, I think they would have hit that over for him. I think it would have. And if not, Cooper Cup had a ball over the middle where he probably was going to go like 60 to the house, but he got too excited and looked back and it was a rare <laughs> drop for Cup. Yeah, I know you've been looking at the prop market, obviously. So what are some ones that jumped out to you early on and say, I'm going to keep an eye on these. I might lock in early if I like the number. Like, what are some you're looking at? Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I think the touchdown scorer market is a fascinating one because, of course, you have this big cup number uh, early, that minus 190 marker. The only other guy that's at a minus price is Cam Akers. So the Rams have only two rushing touchdowns this postseason, and both belong to Matthew Stafford. Sneak on the goal line, who's plus 800 to score a touchdown here. The one thing I've noticed with touchdown markets, for me at least, is they typically seem to actually get lower as the week goes on. I know that kind of goes against some of the stuff that we learn of, hey, get it in early and get the best of the number. Patience with touchdown scores very often will pay off there. Maybe get that cup number at a little bit more manageable price. I think the plus money on Mixon is going to be appealing uh, certainly here. So those are, and even right, like a Kendall Blanton, who's plus 240, Right, but it's the same number as Higby. You rule Higby out, Blanton feels like a guy who's certainly live to get into the end zone. So there's a lot of guys that can make some sense in these touchdown scorer markets. Yeah, I love the anytime touchdown scorer prop. It's always it's always great to me. I think in terms of like same game parlays, too, I'm also looking forward to that. I'm gonna like if you were to build one right now, what would your same game parlay be? Man, so I, I think ultimately it depends how you want to do it. I know that sounds like a cop out answer, but there's kind of two schools of thought. Let me grab three, four legs, get it up to 10 to one odds. Let's swing big, right? And then there's the correlated minus, big minus numbers, and let's get them to plus 100, right? So you take Stafford for 225 passing, cut for 75 receiving, Odell for 40 receiving, right? And all of a sudden you start to flirt with that even money range where you want those big bomb prices. And again, I think you can kind of, you can get involved with both of these as long as you structure the, you know, the risk amount correctly, where you take, you know, a mix in touchdown prop, a chase touchdown prop and a borrowed 300 passing yards. And all of a sudden now you've got yourself that was big 10 to one kind of markers. Yeah, so like, like that Bengals kind of stack with something like that. We fun. Yeah, I, I was able to, I know a Bengals stack worked really well in that game against Vegas. Cause that's the thing. If borrow, if borrow does throw for 300, 320, 350, Chase, Higgins, Mixon, Boyd, they're all going to come in very likely. Or, right, like most of them are going to come in. Yeah, in terms of your second parlay, I know that's something I did recently for college basketball, the conservative strategy where I had Duke on the money, Duke laying the seven points against Louisville. I went money line Auburn, which is huge, and money line Alabama to push the odds up. I ended up hitting on that. So that was a good good parlay. Yeah, it, it, it works out. You know, I mean, if you're doing college basketball, I think you just want to be careful of road teams if possible yep. because we, we see how that goes, right? Oh, yeah. The other day, Iowa uh, and Penn State, right? Penn State at home, four-point dog, find a way in overtime, double overtime. Not that surprising. It's college basketball. Home court does really matter. Yeah, and I'm also going to point out to people as well, I think you agree with me on this, is obviously this is the first Super Bowl like in New York where live, live betting is up here, so – you know, you might want to spend your cash now. I also advise you to keep some reserves. I'm sure there's going to be some boosts, some plays, some promos oh, yeah. to try and get you excited uh, here. 
there's going to be a lot of good stuff. A lot of good. Listen, we we don't need to unload the chamber, uh, you know, two weeks out. That's unnecessary. There's going to be a lot of good stuff that's going to come available. And, and I'm telling you right now, look, I'm not, you know, but on sports grid on that early line show, myself and Donnie, we go through all the specials, all the boosts. We're always talking about it because we love those markets. They're fun. They're exciting. And they're going to continue to populate throughout the week. So don't, especially those, those boosts and those plus monies, those specials, they're not going to run away from you. So, so, so as you're, and you're absolutely spot on, you know, keep it in check, keep that, you know, build that card, see what you like, circle stuff, circle it, keep track of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's circle some stuff here. And I know, like, I have an idea for you I want to throw out here because not saying do it right now, but let's give Kevin yeah. Walsh a $100 promo here on FanDuel. He has $100 mm-hmm. of live, of free bets here. Like, if you were to make a car with your 100 bucks, how would you spend it? Well, look, again, right, like, some people would say, how about I just do $100 on my favorite bets on the board, right? Which I think a lot of people are obviously always going to be intrigued by. Um, the one thing I think that will be interesting, and I'll make a point after this, but it's this Super Bowl MVP market. There'll be a lot of talk about this now. Because Stafford's your favorite at plus 115, but a lot of people think Cup can take it off of him at plus 650. Burrow does feel like the bangle, right? But again, you want to structure that in a certain way where you go 50 Burrow, 25 Cup, 25 Mixon, and now you're secure kind of, you feel secure in that market, right? Where you go 50 Burrow, 25 Cup, 25 Cam Akers, right? And now you feel like you've kind of controlled that board a little bit there. What I really want to say is, and I want to see kind of if they hang the Yes, no. Will a quarterback win Super Bowl MVP? You should get some pretty good plus money on the no. Uh, Give me the rest of the board here. Look, these are two really good quarterbacks that have been very good during this postseason. But there's a lot of big names outside of the quarterback position that have life. Yeah, I mean, he's not too long ago. You have to go back. Julian Edelman won a Super Bowl MVP a couple of years ago. So it's not like you're talking like 15 years ago if that didn't happen. Right, and I think ultimately, if you gave out an MVP in the NFC Championship game, it would have been Cooper Cup, no? Yeah, I would agree. So there you go. I mean, he's going to have – Cup has that chance. Chase has that chance. And then you've got Jalen Ramsey, right, intercepts a pass. All right, now this gets interesting. If they sack Burrow 10 times and create a fumble, that's going to get interesting now on the defensive side of the football. Von Miller's got his Super Bowl MVP in the trophy case already. Yeah, I, I want to see if they put up, considering the state of Bengals line, any sort of sack prop. Because that's something I would love to see if they actually do. I know they, I know they don't they usually, will. but like I'm excited to see. Like That's one definitely going to be trying to play. They, they, they're going to end up giving you probably isolated players. Yeah. So there'll be a Donald Price, there'll be a Von Miller Price, Leonard Floyd Price, and all of those guys will you know kind of line up in different ways. Absolutely. And before I let you go, I do want to also touch on here, people, this, the size of your bowl betting here. I think in terms of the books, in terms of, Futures, I think, look at the college basketball market right now because there are a lot of good teams you get very good prices on to win the tournament. Yeah, for me, I'm personally, I like to bet the, when the bracket's set. I'll tell you why, okay? Alabama. Alabama has some horrible losses and might end up like an eight or a nine seed. But they've also beat Gonzaga this year. They've also, you know, been able to beat Baylor this year. So I look at that group, and if they're an eight, nine seed, and all of a sudden I have my, you know, Who's going to be a one seed ticket? You have a Baylor oh, ticket yeah. or a Gonzaga ticket, right? You've already played them and lost, and now playing them in round two. That doesn't what? Meanwhile, you know this group's over here playing Wake Forest. How does that make any sense? So, 
personally, I get what you're saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. I like to wait for that bracket to be set. There's still so much plus money. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I for me, I, the way I play is like if I see teams I think are way better than their numbers are, I'm gonna I'll lock in for like a decent wager and like like a twenty dollar wager, ten dollar wager, sure. give myself an action. Like like I got UCLA when they were plus twenty two hundred, and now they've dropped to plus fifteen hundred after they beat Arizona last week. So that's I feel like a number I'm happy I locked in. Yeah, Kansas uh, obviously had their number going the other direction with Kentucky having the shortest odds of any SEC team. It shows, you know, obviously the power of Kentucky, the name brand of Kentucky, but that is a good basketball team. They just, they had second half leads over Duke, Auburn, and LSU, but ultimately lost all of those games, right? And Notre Dame as well. But the thing is, they played really good teams, really close, but couldn't close the door. To close the door emphatically against Kansas, that was the win that says, okay, Kentucky is, however many teams you think can win the national championship, whatever however long your list is, Kentucky's on your list. Yeah, I think the other two I threw out there, I locked in so far. I have Auburn plus thirteen hundred at number at number one number one overall team. It's obviously again a risk because again, if they get somebody in the bracket, the eight nine game, you can knock them off. It's a risk. I took it, but also I got Wisconsin plus six thousand because I think you have a game record player like Johnny Davis. Now I have to throw ten yeah. shekels on, see what happens. Well, listen, right, and I think depending if Iowa can get there, Keegan Murray feels like a comparable player, right? I don't know where Illinois is going to be seated. But Kofi's a game record. There's going to be there. Look, that is the bracket. And when you get a big price like you have there on Wisconsin, you don't even go the whole way. Two wins. And you start to be able to kind of figure out the rest of the tournament there and, and where you want to position yourself. Yeah, because those I like, because then you can always have the potential to cash out if like you have certain options, yep. which is always a good good option. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Kevin, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow on social media and keep up what you're doing over at SportsGrade? Yeah, I am on Twitter at the Kevin Walsh. Follow me over there. And then everything on Sports Grid, Sports Grid Radio. Uh, the early line begins 7 a.m. Eastern time. And then, of course, in play, Sports Tonight lines up right now, 7 p.m. Eastern time there. So check us out. Sports Grid will have you covered for the Super Bowl, no doubt. I will definitely listen, Kevin. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, man. The two minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. Talk about the Giants, and it's incredible how much has changed for the Giants. It's been about six weeks because, remember, late December, we had the leak from Adam Schefter. The Giants are playing ring Joe Judge back. And then all of a sudden, brutal losses, brutal losses, strange post-game press conferences, running sneaks onside your own five-yard line to set up punts. It got so bad that John Mayer basically had to make changes. The ones we got seemed pretty good. The Giants do an extensive GM search. They bring in nine candidates from outside the organization interviews. There was no way they could just simply promote Kevin Ayer and say, see, our way works. It did not work anymore. They land a respected executive from Buffalo, Joe Shane, their assistant GM there. And he's got a good resume. He gets to run the head coaching search. They interview six candidates. They hire the coach that Joe Shane wanted, Brian Dable, who's made his name based on what he's accomplished Josh Allen in Buffalo. Josh Allen came in the league. Remember, he was awful. He couldn't complete passes more than like 10 yards down the field. His accuracy was all over the place. Now he's one of the best players in the league. That pair is now running the Giants. They're now in lockstep, and they want to build the right way. They basically said that Daniel Jones, their 22-22 quarterback, I know a lot of fans saying, why? He sucks. He can't do this. But that's fine. This is not a team that's in position to be trading away draft picks and players who ran Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers. A, I don't buy that any of those guys would come here. And B, with all you're tearing down to get the guy here, you're not going to win much anyway. 
Daniel Jones is on his rookie contract. They're going to decline the fifth year, obviously, because he hasn't earned it. You have a free year with him, with Dable, see if you can be a serviceable starter for them. And Dable did a lot with Josh Allen. So if he turns Daniel Jones into a solid starting quarterback for now, you can re-sign him with the franchise tag on. Dable already said that in his press conference that he's already talked to Daniel Jones about some plays he likes to run. They're going to build the system around his specific skill set, which is exactly how the modern NFL should work. You should be building around your players, not trying to shove your players into your system. Both Shane and Dable have also been very careful not to pump up the Giant fans, talk about the playoff timetables and whatnot. I know Shane said he's got work, a lot of work to do. It sounds like his first priority is fixing the salary cap mess. Dave Gellin left behind. Brian Dable said, hey, I still got to hire a staff. I'm not worried about the playoffs right now. This is an organization that literally became a dumpster fire. They are down there with the Jaguars, with the Lions, with the Jets, as some of the worst franchises in the league. They need to rebuild from the ground up, and it's going to happen. To get rebuilt. Will they get the job done? We will see, because it's a lot of work to be done here. But there at least is a coherent plan. And both of them are on five-year contracts. They're going to get time to fix this. They're going to have at least four years to build this team into a contender again. This is a lot better than 2017 when John Maribus went to that GM search, hoping to have somebody tell him, we can still win with Elon Manning. And We've said a number of times on this podcast, a couple of giant fans come on here said, we're going to have one external candidate in that interview process, which was Lewis Reddick, who said, hey, burn the thing to the ground, start over. And Mary didn't want to hear it. He went to Daigle and said, I can win with Eli Manning. And then look what happened. This is progress. Next year's going to be painful. There's going to be a lot of growing pain next year. Let's see how things look in about three years. You should see some progress here. And with that, I want to end the show for the week. I want to thank Kevin Walsh from SportsGrade for hopping on here. Great job doing the Super Bowl betting breakdown. A lot of interesting nuggets there for you to use if you're getting ready to make your wagers for the big game. We want more stuff like this podcast, including my look at some of the storylines of the Olympics. Don't forget, the Olympics start this week. We just had Olympics, and it was delayed. This one is in Beijing. It's overseas again. More COVID stuff, blah, blah, blah. Check out the blog, justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. So follow me on Twitter, mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. That's it for our first podcast. that will be coming up next in a couple of days. We're going to do a college basketball check-in. They'll be joined by Troy Moriel, the Seeing Red podcast. It's set up here for February. It's almost time to get ready for the brackets and more. So I'm going to have a better week than 49ers fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.